Hello, welcome everyone who's listening to this over the internet. Um, today is Maundy Thursday, and I'm going to share with you some thoughts about the day, uh, what it all is, and I'm going to give you a sermon that I gave uh, almost 10 years ago uh, for the occasion. I, I decided to do that because given that we can't be together in person right now because of the coronavirus and uh, all the restrictions that come with that, I still wanted to have some sense of remembering Maundy Thursday, given that communion is such a big part of the service and we can't really do that when we're not together. But yet I still wanted to remember the holiday and remember the, special, the specialness that it has uh, for us as Christians uh, as we begin our Holy Week. Now I'm, also, I'm perfectly aware of the fact that Maundy Thursday does not tend to be the best attended service. It, you know, doesn't compare to Easter. Often, even at Lord of Grace, we'll have a couple dozen people. But I still think it's very important. It begins with the Last Supper. And so we have Maundy Thursday with the Last Supper, and then we have Good Friday with the Crucifixion, and then we celebrate again on Easter. And the reason we call it the Holy Three Days in our liturgy. Uh, but nonetheless, I thought I'd share with you this message today so you can uh, sit at home, you can play it, and, um, and I thought I'd just do it uh, verbally. There isn't a whole lot you'd get from watching me stand there doing this. Uh, so, uh, but Maundy Thursday, a little bit of background on it. It is one of those days of the church that has almost completely disappeared from our culture. Most people have no idea what it is. Uh, as you know, on normal Thursday nights, I go down and I work at a city church that I've been working on getting started for a while. Uh, we call it Open Space. Uh, it has a, targets a younger crowd. Uh, a lot of them are artists and heavily unchurched backgrounds. And one of those Thursdays last year, I can remember, I, there was no way I could be down there. Uh, I, I was up here doing Maundy Thursday services. I had nobody to fill in for me down there, so I just posted on social media that there would be no art night, and that's what we had to cancel. It was just an open art night for the community, and we had to cancel it for Maundy Thursday. And I had all sorts of people asking me, uh, Lars, what in the world is Maundy Thursday? So I had to explain the short version. You know, we celebrate the Last Supper on Maundy Thursday, the crucifixion on Good Friday, and that kind of made sense to people. Uh, without getting too deep into it. But, for the fun of it, let's go a little bit deeper. The word Mondi, uh, not to be confused with Monday, but Mondi, M-A-U-N-D-Y, it's an old English word. Uh, from, it's from the old English word Monday, which is from the old Latin word Mandatum, which, if you haven't guessed, is where we get the word for mandate or command. It's the day we are commanded to wash one another's feet, as Jesus says in the Gospel of John. Uh, chapter 13, he says, So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have set you an example, that you also should do as I have done to you. So, for a long time, this is when the pastor would literally wash people's feet. Uh, in Jesus' time, the ritual had a whole lot of sense to it because most people wore sandals 
and most of the time they were outside on dirt and dust. Uh, they walked around on city streets that were not sanitary. A lot of times people just dumped their garbage in the city right into the street. Uh, and so you had to, you were dodging basically an open sewer. And so your feet would be this really nasty combination of dirt and sweat. And so in proper company, you would come in and the servants would wash your feet when you came in. So we didn't all sit in closed quarters smelling each other's bad feet. And it was a nasty job. And it was not the job that anyone of any social status would do. And it's, it's almost as bad of a job as the people at the grocery stores who have to pick up the gloves and masks that some people uh, dumped right by the shopping carts after after they used them. So uh, a little mandatum uh, from Lars here is don't be that person. Uh, don't make the hourly wage employees at the grocery store pick up your corona gloves and your corona masks. They're not hazmat removal teams. They're not your servants. Okay, rant over. All right, but getting back to Jesus. So, for a master or a rabbi to wash feet would have been beneath them. Uh, yet Jesus does this. It was his way of showing his leadership through humility. I don't do foot washing myself, uh, partly my own squeamishness about it, but also, you know, we're in a culture that's incredibly different. We wear shoes and socks, and so you've got all this stuff to take off, and then you're touching people, and we have a different understanding of touching in our culture, and, you know, and, and washing feet doesn't have the same meaning as it did then. Um, and then, of course, you've got sanitation. Uh, so when I do Maundy Thursday services, I move the focus more to communion and the Last Supper. And I also do that because three of the four Gospels have communion at the Last Supper. It's just in the Gospel of John where they get together at the Last Supper and do feet washing. They're both perfectly valid uh, things to do, but I, so since I can focus on communion, I do. Now, uh, nowadays we are far apart, and so it isn't possible to celebrate communion, but it doesn't mean that we can't remember it and refresh ourselves on it this Holy Week. So here's my sermon from a few years ago on the Last Supper and on communion. Uh, I just modified it a little bit. I hope you enjoy. And again, I hope that we will be able to celebrate communion again together in not too long when the curve has been flattened and it's safe to go out and get together uh, and worship together again. Until then, continue to follow us online, listen in, and watch us on YouTube. Tomorrow night at 6.30, you can see the Good Friday service, the Stations of the Cross service. We were able to put that all on video, so you can tune into that and then tune in again on Sunday morning at 10 a.m. Also on the Lord of Grace YouTube channel, and there you will see our Easter service. So uh, thanks again for listening in. So here goes, uh, Maundy Thursday. Eating together. Uh, it's one of the greatest things we do and one of the worst. I don't think we do it very often or very well in our culture, which is why when we get together at Thanksgiving, we end up fighting. The rest of our lives, we get to choose who we eat with, 
and that crazy uncle who doesn't have tact and who believes in all the conspiracy theories about Illuminatis and Masons and the New World Order is not one of them. But there's something about the truth that, you know, you can pick your friends, but you can't pick your relatives. They're your relatives, and there's nothing you can do to change it. So you sit down and you eat together and try to navigate that minefield between your hippie vegetarian organic hemp growing cousin from Sedona and your uncle who owns the ranch and is a lifelong member of both the Beef Council and the NRA and you get to try to keep them from attacking each other. It's what makes eating together so much fun and potentially so much more headache depending on whether you find these kind of circumstances funny or frustrating. The truth is, I don't get the picture that things were a whole lot better between the disciples when Jesus was sitting down for the Last Supper. They came from all sorts of backgrounds, and it says in the Gospels that they used to fight amongst themselves all the time. They would argue with each other about who was the best. They'd argue about who was the closest to Jesus, what was the right way to build the kingdom of God, and that's all we have recorded. Judas Iscariot and Simon the Zealot were revolutionaries. Matthew was a tax collector for the empire. They were natural enemies. But somehow Jesus got them to sit down together at one table and eat and not kill each other. And when you realize that Judas was an actual bona fide knife-wielding killer in his previous life, and, and that's not an exaggeration, uh, he, they, Iscariot means he is the knife wielder, so he was a part of a group that would go and assassinate people who they thought were conspiring with the Roman Empire. So he literally, whether he pulled, whether he actually used the knife or was just a aiding and abetting, um, you know, he owned that identity publicly. So, uh, which is why uh, I don't see the Last Supper as this time when everyone sits there with a big smile on their faces all just happy to be around Jesus and just worried a little bit because they were confused about what he said about having to die. No, I, I picture a family dinner more like out of a Chevy Chase movie, you know, with people bickering and jockeying for position and talking out of turn and Jesus is sitting there and he's got one last meal with them and they won't listen to anything he says because they're just so busy arguing. It's how you know Jesus is God because he can keep his patience at a family dinner, and that takes divine power. It's why if you read the Gospel of John at the Last Supper, you get the disciples asking Jesus the same questions over and over, just in little different ways, like they didn't hear him the first time. But that's what you get when you decide to build a community that isn't homogenous, that isn't where everyone is the same and agrees. Because that's what we do, right? We tend to seek out people who are like us and agree with us, and we avoid relationships that are going to be a big challenge. And we certainly don't sit down at dinner table with groups of people who we really don't like. It's why first dates can be so long. You know, you're stuck with this person for at least the length of the meal. And if you're not compatible, it can be a long dinner. But on the flip side, it's also how you build relationships. You spend time talking, going back and forth. When you say something, you say it to that person's face and you have to be accountable to that person right there and then. You know, it's not like email or, 
or texting where you can fire off some crazy stuff and not have to worry if, you know, Ohio guy 72 really likes you. But when you're at the table with someone, you get a response for what you say and you have to live with what you say and be accountable for it. And it makes you a more polite person. And when you're done, there's something that's been shared between you. There's a shared experience, even if it's a crazy one. And that's what community is. Sharing with each other, being accountable to each other, staying with each other. It's why mealtime is such a great way to build community. And so that's why I don't think that we do it very much anymore. It's inconvenient. It goes against our sense that every encounter must be completely voluntary and limited by my personal choice. I'm not going to hang out with anyone I don't want to hang out with, and you can't make me. Okay, then I would say, you're going to be the one who's going to miss out. Which is what brings me to communion. Jesus didn't just sit there at the Last Supper and say, you know, hey guys, it's been great. We had some good time. We had some good times, didn't we? Remember when Peter walked on, uh, walked on the water, but then didn't? Yeah, remember that? Uh, remember we wanted to build tents on the mountain? Remember when Matthew tripped and yelled? Yeah, remember that? Oh, yeah, yeah, those were good times, yeah. He doesn't get sentimental. He does something different. He tells them that what they are doing in coming together as followers of the Lord, as builders of this new kingdom, as his disciples and students, from all these different crazy backgrounds that they come from, is something that by itself has power. Listen to his words. 1 Corinthians 11. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. As often as you gather as a community together, eating together in the name of Jesus, you aren't just eating food, you aren't just ingesting calories, you're doing something much bigger. You're proclaiming the Lord's death. You're proclaiming Jesus. So you go, huh? I would have looked at Jesus right there and then said, huh? Eating proclaims the Lord's death. Huh? Eating usually just proclaims that I'm kind of hungry. But when you come together as followers of Christ and do what is almost never done in the rest of our world, that is to share the table with your enemies, your competitors, your opponents, the people who drive you nuts. When you do that, then people are going to start to ask what's behind it. Why in the world are you doing this? Why, why would you even bother? Why endure the conflict and the drama? Why put up with that blockhead? Why listen to her rant all the time? Why hang out with a bunch of people who can be so difficult? And especially why hang out with people from all these different classes and political parties? And the answer is because of Jesus. We may have nothing else in common, but we all have Jesus. And the fact that he, in his infinite wisdom and patience, can continue to invite us to eat with him, knowing everything we've done and do to each other. That's quite a statement. Your God must be pretty powerful if he can bring all you crazy people together. 
Your Jesus must be pretty compelling if you're all willing to endure what you do for him and if you can love even in spite of everything. And the fact that you do it knowing about his death, that's powerful stuff. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Communion is our community meal. It's where we come together remembering Jesus, but more than that, eating with Jesus, sharing in Jesus, in his presence that is real and with us to this day. It's what makes communion the most exclusive thing because it includes everyone. And since most of us don't want to include everyone, we exclude ourselves from the community that welcomes all. So paradoxically, the very love that embraces all, that welcomes all to the table, no matter what your sin or your past, becomes the thing that keeps so many away. But it's what binds us together and makes us who we are. And in coming together, we aren't just getting a little dose of food. We're proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes again. Amen.